0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. The
1: first reading is from Deuteronomy chapter 14, beginning at verse 22. So Deuteronomy chapter 14, 22 to 29, and it's on page 186 of the Bibles. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe, because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is too far away, then exchange your tithe for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. Use the silver to buy whatever you like cattle, sheep, wine, or other fermented drink, or anything you wish, then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. And do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the aliens, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands.
0: Uh, And the second Bible reading tonight is from... Galatians chapter 6 uh, verses 1 to 10. That's on page 1,155. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfil the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, He deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing God, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers.
2: Well, good evening. My name's Roger. I'm one of the ministers here. Great to be with you. Uh, it'd be great to meet with you afterwards if I haven't met you before. Um, tonight we're continuing our series of being together. Um, and over this last few weeks, uh, we have been considering what it means to be together. Now I haven't actually been here. I've been on holidays, which is great. Um, so I've come back and I've listened to Matt's sermons online and heard Mike's sermon and thought, wow. It's been fantastic to do this series and to think about uh, what it means to be together. Um, But one of the things that actually happens when you're away on holidays is absence makes the heart grow fonder. And it's really true. Um, I, I was away and it was just actually one Sunday I wasn't here. And I just thought, I really miss being here. Um, So look, I love being here and God is so gracious to us. So I love meeting with you and love speaking to you from God's word. So I'm really looking forward to what we're talking about tonight. But yeah, I think absence does make the heart. So don't be absent though, be here. But, you know, um, it's a really good thing to be able to meet with God's people regularly. So... Uh, This series has come out of um, some thinking we've been doing about this year and how it's going to work. And one of the things that we're longing for here at um, CIG is that many people would call us home. Um, That they would come to a knowledge of Jesus and that they'd come here and see us as we gather together together as home, as a place where you can belong to Jesus and to other people who follow him. And the other thing, of course, that we're thinking about is what does it mean, therefore, for us as Christians, as we meet together, to have our hearts set alight by the love of God in Christ? And how does that work in our lives together? And so this series has kind of been unpacking some of those things. Uh, We start out with the idea of welcoming people home together, um, alighting our hearts together, serving together, which is what Matt spoke about last week. And tonight, we're thinking about the whole notion of stewarding, stewarding our resources together. Um, now, that means we're going to be talking about finances and those kinds of things. And I know for some people that makes you might might make you feel a bit uncomfortable. It's not something we do all the time at this church. And some people come to me and say, oh, actually, that must be really difficult for you to talk about the whole idea of money, particularly because a church supports you and that kind of thing. Can I say, I'm not embarrassed about it at all. Um, I'm very grateful for the way this church and other churches in the past have supported me, and I think it's a marvellous thing, and I don't take it for granted at all. But it's actually something that the Bible talks about all the time. And Jesus talks about money all the time. So I have no embarrassment about talking about money because actually it's here in God's word and we should just talk about it. Um, and it's an important thing actually for us to be talking together as Christians about. So please don't be embarrassed in your small groups or with your Christian friends to talk about money and to think about how you should could steward the resources that you have in a way that is godly and obedient to what God has called us to be and do. Now, as you heard, we're, we're looking back at the passage from Galatians, Galatians chapter 6, and we're particularly interested in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 to 10. Uh, if you were here for our Galatians series recently, you might have noticed that the night I preached on this particular passage, I missed verses 6 to 10, for those of you who are observant. Um, and the reason I missed it is because I knew this was coming, and I thought this would be a great passage to think about, this whole thing of stewarding uh, our resources together. Well, just to take us back to Galatians for a moment and help us get some context, if you remember, uh, Paul has been writing uh, to the people of Galatia and he's been arguing that a right standing with God comes by faith rather than the works of the law. Indeed, um, the Galatians are the people of God. Um, The spirit is the mark of being a Christian um, and people have been given faith rather than Uh, through rather than, sorry, given faith by God rather than through the observance of the law. And in fact, um, the people who are believers of Jesus Christ enjoy the same blessings of Abraham because they share in the same faith. Now chapter 6 comes right at the end of the book um, and after Paul has been unpacking all those things and it's part of an extension of what he's been talking about in terms of what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. And he's already addressed the issue of taking care of one another, of speaking into each other's lives. And he's been saying that actually if you're going to love one another, you will follow the example of Christ in self-giving love for others, and that self-giving love will manifest itself in the way that you build your relationships with one another, and in fact, in the concrete needs of others. And so as we come to chapter 6, verses 6 to 10, what we're turning to is this idea of being together, but also the responsibility we have together, um, particularly to support one another financially, especially... Um, teachers and fellow believers. Uh, if you're looking for a verse that kind of captures uh, what we're talking about tonight, verse 10, I think, is a, a useful one to kind of hang on to and to think about. Although, uh, Paul's emphasis here is on two groups of people within the life of the church, those who are instructing and those who are just believers together within the church. I think the main idea actually is to do with those who, have been, who are instructing. Well, let's come to uh, chapter 6, verse 6. And think of uh, what Paul is calling us to do in this passage. Well, first off, he starts this way. Nonetheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Um, the notion of good things there uh, is worth just pausing and noting. Uh, it means the, the sense of sharing material wealth with one another. Um, it's not just—it's not talking about just good things like a lollipop or something like that. It's talking about the genuine supporting of one another through physical things, through hospitality, but uh, perhaps even more so financially. Um, and we'll see that as we go through the passage, and Paul unpacks this a little bit further for us. The notion is about supporting one another. And so it's suggesting that one of the ways that we walk in the Spirit is to share all good things with those who instruct us. Now, this is not an unusual principle, and Paul would have no doubt have picked it up uh, from um, Jesus. You might remember in Luke chapter 10, when Jesus sent out the 70 to preach, he said to them, Don't take um, food with you, because the labourer deserves their wages. Um, in Timothy, he, in Timothy chapter 5, he picks up the same theme again when he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox. When it's treading out the grain, and the labourer deserves their wages. Now, I don't often like being compared to an ox, um, but that's what Paul is doing there: is comparing people who instruct you in the word of the Lord as to oxes. And the idea is that oxes wander around treading grain, and you could muzzle them so they couldn't eat of the grain that they're treading. Uh, but if you took off the muzzle, they would eat as they went. And so it's the notion of being provided for. You're providing for those who instruct you. Probably the closest parallel to this passage, though, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says, if we have sown spiritual good amongst you, it is, is it too much that we re- reap your material benefits? And so you see this kind of link between uh, those who instruct you and supporting those people uh, with material benefits as a result. Now, that kind of principle is extended a little bit further, as you see towards the end of the passage there. let us Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Um, Now, uh, what Paul is saying here is it's not exclusively to those who are people of faith or people who are in our church, but it is especially to people who are within our church. And that kind of makes sense when you think of us being together and being a family. Um, within a family unit, if the family unit is working well, uh, you will support one another financially. If someone is in trouble, you'll go and support them. Now, that doesn't mean you won't support people outside your family, but your first port of call is actually to support people within your family, and I think that's the point that Paul is making here. Now, what's so interesting about this is that uh, in this kind of picture that Paul is painting, he's talking about givers and receivers, uh, people who give generously, and people who are receivers of those generous gifts. And both are godly positions within the Bible, giving and receiving. Um, And I think that's something worth acknowledging because sometimes if you're on the receiving end, you can feel like it's not a godly thing to receive. Um, But actually, it is a godly thing to receive. And you ought to let us know if you find yourself in difficulty as a Christian brother or sister and that you have particular needs and maybe we can support you with those needs. Uh, It's a beautiful thing in this church that sometimes people come to us and say, actually we hear of a brother or sister uh, who's in need is there a way we as a church can support them? And the wardens are wonderfully supportive in that way and often try and find ways to do that. Or actually just to hear of Christians supporting one another that way. But you have to be willing to receive as well as willing to give for that to actually work. And so Paul is saying actually remember to give in order that other people receive. But his main point, I think, is this idea of helping others, uh, particularly those who instruct you, uh, with Um, financial support. Now, just so we're clear, I recognise not everybody has an Anglican tradition here. I just want to kind of do a little bit of an aside. Um, How does that work in our church? Well, ministers like myself uh, receive a stipend. And that stipend, I think it's a very generous stipend, is set by our diocese, by the Anglican Church in Sydney. And it's worked out on this basis. They, They basically pay, uh, suggest the stipend be 76.5% of the average weekly wage. Um, that's down from 80%. And the reason they do that is because they want to ensure that ministers who serve their congregations are not in it for the money. Uh, it's not a, it's not a position you go to for the money now that's not to suggest that there are not other benefits and we are very generously provided for uh in this church and so there's no sense in which we are feeling hard done by in that in that sense but just to give you a bit of an insight into the way these things work having said that um the diocese doesn't pay those wages um everything that you have here the lights the music the, the Well, not all the music equipment, but obviously the the, uh, speakers, uh, the seats, the building, uh, the graveyard, everything has actually been donated by people over the years. It is true to say that sometimes there's government grants that have been given along the way, but actually people just like you and me have been generous in their giving and we stand on the shoulders of others as we meet here this evening. We stand on the shoulders of other Christians who have gone before us and in their thoughtfulness provided for a place to meet where the instructions of God could be given week by week. And we ought to be very thankful for them and um, we are very thankful for them. But just to to say actually it's not someone has come along and suddenly given us all this property or we've somehow taken it off someone else in terms of um, the government or something. Um, Sometimes the media reports these things and they just have this terrible report on how churches work. In actual fact, it's people like you and me giving money that sees most of the activities of the church take place. Okay, back to the passage. Uh, In terms of the implications about uh, supporting those who are your instructors, I think what it's reminding us of is that the teaching of the word of God is very essential to church life. Uh, that's why we support those who instruct us. It's central to what we do. It helps us as a, as people grow. And as we support those who instruct us, it helps others grow, not just ourselves. We're not a consumerist church. We're not a church that just comes for ourselves. We're actually here for the benefit of others as well. And so as we support those who instruct, we're actually benefiting other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, one of the ways that that has expressed itself Uh, In my life, and this is kind of just a symbolic thing, is that when you give your money at church, uh, it goes into a general fund which then supports the ministry staff and the various other ministries that take place here and elsewhere. But Jane and myself, that's my wife and myself, made a decision a while ago that actually we would nominate, uh, we would split our giving four ways um, and identify each congregation in our giving. And the reason we've done that is because we actually want to see, even though it goes into a general fund, it's just a symbolic way of saying, actually, we want to support the teaching of God's word in each of our congregations. And that's just the way we've done it. You don't have to do it that way. But that's the kind of thinking uh, that we need together as we think about what does it mean to support those who are giving us instructions. Um, The reason that Paul's instructing us this way is it gives people like myself and the other ministry staff here opportunities to spend time studying and thinking about God's word and preparing God's word as we come to teach and preach it. And having a stipend frees us up to do that. Um, And one of the beautiful things about calling it a stipend is that it means that I'm not paid to preach to you. Um, I used to love going into high school scripture and people, uh, as I taught high school scripture, would say, sir, you're just here because you're paid to be here. And I was able to say, actually, no. There are people in a church down the road who are very generous and they've freed up my time so that I don't have to work elsewhere so that I can come to school and actually I choose to be here. I choose to teach as I teach. And, of course, that just blew their mind. They couldn't believe that someone would want to come and talk to Jesus about them, and that's another story. But uh, you kind of get the idea, don't you? Uh, The wonderful gift of stipends and the wonderful gift of support frees people up to be able to teach the word of God freely within the life of the church. Now, I think it is freely, and it's not um, kind of rated in a particular way. Um, I just recently came across a Japanese pastor whose congregation leaders had just decided that they would pay him according to the number of people who attended church. I think that was just terrible. It made me quite angry, actually, um, because that was just an abuse of their power with him and really not what the Bible is talking about when it says support those who instruct you in the word of God. Further implication, and I I won't make too many others, but basically um, in supporting uh, people with who teach the word of God, what you're also doing is helping one another bear one another's burdens because the teaching of the word of God helps us work together in bearing one another's burdens. It's an act of love towards others within your congregations. Of course, um, the question is raised, just how much should you give at this point? And that's always a, a, a vexed question as to exactly what you should give. Uh, if you heard our reading from Deuteronomy, you heard them talking about a tenth, which people often refer to as a tithe. Um, so, a tenth of all their income they collected. And you'll notice that in that passage, they spoke about the idea of Levites and supporting those who didn't have an income for themselves. Um, That was a way of uh, expressing that. Uh, In actual fact, uh, in the Old Testament, if you add up all the things that they gave, very often uh, people have calculated it's something more like 40%. But when we come to the New Testament, there's actually no particular guidance on how much to give. Uh, It would have been strange if somehow the disciples didn't consider that Maybe 10% was pretty reasonable, but actually Paul's fairly clear on the idea that we should be giving out of our own ability. And so that means that for some people, uh, you will be able to give far more than 10% uh, because you're in a position and God's been generous to you in what you have. Of course, for others, that won't be possible because of the circumstances that you find yourself in. Each person, Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 9, should decide what to give, what is in their own heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Someone once described it this way to me, as you give, you should be laughing. (laughs) Well, I guess that's one way of thinking about it, but you should at least be joyful um, about the fact that you've got something to give that you can be generous with those things. And, of course, this is a great reminder to us that actually everything we have, every breath we take, our jobs, the material things we have, are gifts from God. Even if we feel like we earned them, actually God gave us the ability to earn those things and the brains and the skills to do our jobs and earn those things, they're actually all gifts from God. And so it's not like we're taking out of our, our funding to give. We're actually being wise with what God has given us as we're generous with others. So I encourage you to think within your own heart. What does that mean for you, if you're someone who follows Jesus, to be generous towards others, to, towards uh, those who instruct you, but also towards others in the church? Because, of course, that's what we also noticed. Uh, in that passage, that we are to be generous to all people, let us do good to all people. How do we uh, do that within our church, with uh, missionaries that we support overseas, uh, with those that we see around us who need uh, sup- our support, financial support? Uh, please take the time to consider how you might do that. And if it's in terms of our church's giving, I rec- recommend doing it um, online. It's just an easy way to do it and a reminder of uh, the frequency of giving that we're called to give as well. Of course, our church does some other things that help this along, uh, particularly in supporting one another. Uh, one of the ways is that um, on our weekend at home, which we've just heard advertised, uh, we, we have this little phrase which says, pay as much as you can or more if you can. It kind of doesn't make sense, but the, the idea is that you contribute to the weekend as much as you can. We'll tell you how much it kind of costs to run the weekend per person. But you contribute as much as you can. Or if you're in a position to contribute a little bit more, contribute a bit more. In fact, I'm thinking of changing that from pay as much as you can to contribute as much as you can. Because it's actually about us coming together as God's people and supporting one another in instruction. And so that has costs. And of course, we need to have a form filled in so we know for catering purposes and all those kinds of things. But it's actually just about being generous with one another, making sure that we cover costs, but actually helping out with other people. Um, And I can't tell you the delight it is when I've spoken with people who've come to me and said, look, I can't come to the weekend at home. I can't afford it. And I've been able to say to them, actually, there's plenty of money. People are generous here. Just come. We don't actually know how much people are giving. We just know that people are coming and that some people are giving. We don't actually match those things up. And the reason we do that is because this is a way of being generous and supportive of one another together as we steward the resources that God has given. And over the years as I've done this, there's only been one or two occasions where we might have been $10 short according to our budget. Our people have just been generous and so supportive of what we've done. So can I encourage you, don't miss the weekend at home and particularly don't miss the weekend at home if it feels too expensive. Just come, we'd love to have you there. Okay, so Paul has encouraged us to give. This is what what he's asking us to do, to support one another, to share all good things in common with one another. And one of the particular ways is through financial support of one another. But the question is, why is he doing that? And actually where he goes next is quite a surprise. And it's certainly not somewhere I would have gone myself. Um, I, I just think, wow, this is pretty stark what he has to say next. And this is what he says next. Why? Do not be deceived God cannot be mocked. A person reaps what they sow. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now Paul uses this concept of do not be deceived on a number of other occasions, and in both instances he's concerned about the internal eternal significance and inheritance of the people he's speaking to. He's saying, if you scorn God, God will sit in judgment of you and you will not receive eternal life. He will punish those who spite him. Now, that's a very strong word in the midst of this passage and a very challenging word um, that Paul has for the church in Galatia. Now, there's a very clear example of this, I think, in Acts chapter 5. You might remember the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they basically in in the early church sell a property and they come to the leaders of the church and they say to the leaders of the church by the way we're giving you all the proceeds from our property but in actual fact they've held some of it back for themselves they've been lying they're hypocrites and God will not be mocked and what happens? Both of them die on the spot. God's judgment is immediate on them and it's uh, no wonder the church, as we read through how they responded, they, the whole church was seized with fear as they held, heard about these events and I guess it's just reminding us that actually God takes very seriously uh, what we do and our obedience to him and that we should not mock him in the way we go about doing things. What made me particularly think of this passage is the way that that passage in chapter, uh, Acts chapter 5 finishes when uh, we hear these words. And Peter says to them, did you really sell the land for so much? Why have you despised the ministry of the word and plotted your own gain and conspired to deceive the Lord? God is not mocked. Hark the feet of those who've buried your husband. They are at the door and they will carry you out. Your greed has come upon your own head. Whatever a person sows, that person... So, will that person reap? It's a very clear example of God acting in judgment on someone who is mocking God in the way that they have stewarded the resources that God has given them. What seems to be happening here, also, though, is that God is presenting us with, uh, Paul is presenting us with, a way of thinking about sowing and reaping. Uh, The idea that if we sow something, it's going to have a result. So if you put a toma- tomato seed in, you'll get a tomato. If you put an apple seed in, you'll get a, an apple tree. If you put a small little fig tree thing in, you get a huge fig tree outside. Uh, there is something that's sown that produces fruit. And it might seem really, really small at the time, but over a period of time, it can produce fruit. And the truth is you cannot hide from God what you spend your money for, on or how you steward the resources that you, you were given. He knows exactly what you're doing with your resources. He knows exactly what's in your heart and exactly the way you're going about things. And he will not be mocked. And one of the ways that that uh, results is in the fact that there is something planted and some fruit is produced later on. Now, why is Paul being so direct with the Galatians at this point? Well, it's difficult to say. Uh, it may be that some have had some kind of license around the idea of giving and they've just decided that uh, for freedom Christ has set us free, which is one of those themes in, in Galatians, and they've just decided, well, it doesn't really matter. We don't need to worry about giving and we can just do what we like. Or perhaps in verse 9 maybe there's another clue uh, where we read, "Let us no, let us not become weary in doing good. Uh, It may be that as church life has progressed, they've just grown weary. And of course, we all grow weary in church life and kind of, oh, wow, do we have to keep doing that? And maybe that's what's happened. But he's saying, actually, there's a warning here. Uh, Be serious about what you're doing in the way you do good to one another and particularly to those who instruct you. Now, of course, there is another problem that arises here from Paul using this kind of metaphor and this description for us. And that is, it sounds like our works will help us get to eternal life. Um, And that is a difficulty for us because actually people use passages like that to say exactly that. Uh, They take it one step further and they kind of say, actually, uh, what we want to see is uh, if you keep giving more and more and more, God will generously bless your life and you'll be more wealthy and more prosperous, and you'll have more and more and more. Now, I can remember being fooled uh, by this when I was about 10 years old. I saved up a lot of money. Uh, In my mind, it was a lot of money, $10. Um, And I thought, I need to be generous with this. God has given this to me. I'm going to be generous with this giving. And so I put the $10 in the plate and gave it in the offertory and thought, okay, so I should get about $100 back of course that did not work that way <laughs> and afterwards i went i gave 10 dollars that's all the money i had <laughs> my heart was not in the right place at all and it can feel a bit like that as we use this kind of language and as paul uses this language that somehow we earn god's favor and earn eternal life but of course that's not what paul is saying because we know paul has been so strong that we are saved by grace through faith not by works of the law. Or if you remember in Galatian, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Such works cannot be the ultimate basis for eternal life for the Galatians. It's impossible that it's going like that. And so even though Paul's using this description, he must be meaning something else. And, of course, he is meaning that when we sow something, it will reap something. But what I think he's getting at is that so often as Christians, even though we've come to know and love Jesus, what happens is we get fooled. Even though we understand the gift of God's grace, we fall back into our old ways of doing things. And so I think what he's getting at here is that it seems that the best way to understand what he's saying is good works constitute an evidence that we have been transformed by God's grace. So if we've been transformed by God's grace and that seed has been planted in us, it will bear fruit in the way that we are generous with others. Uh, it's the fruit of understanding the grace of God. It's the fruit of God's work in our lives that produces that. Whereas if that hasn't been what's been planted in our lives, then we will be sowing seeds of destruction and will be led astray. And so why are we being been called to be good stewards of our resources together, well, we would be mocking God if we didn't, but it's evidence, I think also of God's transforming grace within our own lives, uh, that we are able to be generous with others. Of course, we're still left with this slightly niggling problem that somehow if we do all the right things, God will give us eternal life. And I, I think there's something that there's like a bit of a conflict that goes on with us. And so the question is, how do we deal with our hearts? How do we make sure that our hearts are in the right place as we think about this uh, being stewards together? So let's come back to this notion of a person who reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to the Spirit, um, to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. What's exactly the nature of the conflict that we actually see here um, as Paul has described it? Well, if you go back to chapter 5, verse 17, you might remember these words. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with one another. There's a battle of desires that's going on with our, in our own hearts. One is to serve The desires of the flesh, of our sinful nature. And the other is the desire to serve the spirit. And the desires of our sinful nature are often desires which are like over-desires, things that look good but actually we love them too much and they take us in the wrong direction. So material things could be good but actually loving them and replacing them, replacing God with them, is loving, over-loving them. And they sow the seeds of destruction in our own lives. So the crucial understanding is that our own hearts can be dragged away from worshiping the one true God uh, with all our heart, soul, and mind, if our fleshy desires are met and we continue to follow those desires through. In contrast, if you have been transformed by the Spirit, your your desire is to glorify Jesus. Your desire is to to seek him, to see his beauty and to see his greatness and to understand his graciousness towards you and to let his spirit transform your life in your relationships with one another. And as you grab and understand the better vision of who Jesus is, as that seed is implanted in you and continues to grow, your vision changes and your obedience changes And the way you live out your life as a Christian changes. And what is sown are things of the spirit. And evidence of that spirit will be in the way that you live your life and ultimately in the fact that you will receive eternal life. Not because of the things you've done, but because of what God has planted within you, a seed deep in your soul that is transforming your life. And so it's important for us to grasp just what Jesus has done for us and to be reminded again that we need to repent and turn to him in faith. The spirit, remember, speaks to us of the beauty and greatness of Jesus. A person reaps what they sow and because we lived according to the flesh, Jesus has reaped our destruction. And in turn, given us his spirit so that we might have eternal life. And the degree to which we understand that and let that sink sink deep into our lives, and the degree to which that becomes a greater vision of what we're called to, I think is the degree to which we get this idea of supporting one another and supporting those who instruct you right. It will give us, as the Holy Spirit works within our lives, the right approach to these things in very practical terms as we live our lives together. And so if you want to get this sorted out in your life, the way is to live in faith, to focus on Jesus and see a better vision of what he has done. And he will help you sort out exactly what to do. To share all good things with your instructor, but also to share good things with those who are in need with around you. So let's have our hearts set alight by the love of Christ in God. Amen.